Hey, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, host of the show, and uh, hopefully your guide toward outdoor adventure, camaraderie with a good friend or two, incredible dog work from loyal, trusting hunting partners, and exploring the beautiful places that we go. In fact, that's going to be the topic this week. First in a series, I think, this hunting season uh, of debriefs on some of the wild bird public access hunting I'm doing because uh, you are too, and you're always looking for ideas. Maybe you'll learn something from that. Our first stop this season, Lewistown, Montana. More on that as we get rolling here, but a couple other new features that you'll be hearing in the podcast, plus pheasant forecasts for two states you might be visiting, a job opportunity in our world if you're shopping for work, and the chance to win a prize. So uh, all of it made possible by my friends at Roughland Performance Kennels, Happy Jack Dog Care Products. Here on South Dakota's Ringneck Nation, Sage and Breaker, Gun Care Products, and Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. Yeah, we're all looking for ways to grow and uh, support the things we enjoy. And if you are one of those who enjoys this podcast, I sure appreciate it. And I'm glad you're telling a friend or two. Grown at about 11% per month in terms of number of downloads. And that is probably faster than anybody else I know of in our world. Um, Would appreciate the chance to keep doing that. One way to do it is for you to support the Upland Nation podcast. Yep, yep. We could use your help, and if you want to do that, I'll spare you the boring details, but you'll get something for it, and you can do it for as little as uh, 3 bucks a month at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Upland Nation. Get all the details there. As I said, we are brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. Get on their mailing list, and you won't miss out when it comes to all the good stuff that they are creating and making available to you from the new shotgun case to CLP. That's the spray that I use after every hunt. Clean, lube, and protect in one spritz. It's all at sageandbreaker.com. And my next big road trip to Huron, South Dakota, 142,000 acres of public access just outside of town in Beetle County there. One of my favorite places to go. Sign up for a hunting packet of information from maps to discount coupons to all sorts of other great information at hunthuronsd.com and you will be entered to win one of the three lodging restaurant prize packages, a couple nights at one of the local hotels, some restaurant food and a gift certificate, all sorts of good stuff. Learn all about it at hunthuronsd.com. You know, we love talking about hunting trips, (laughs) and uh, if you can't do it right after the hunt, you can do it on the Upland Nation podcast. I can't wait to get your feedback on this. One of my buddies, uh, Tom, Tom became a friend uh, because he called me up and said, "I'd, I'd like you to autograph your book. And I said, okay, great. He says, I'll send it to you. What's your address? I gave him my address, and he said, 
You just live on the other side of town from me. Let's get together and do that. So we did, had a couple beers at my favorite Mexican restaurant and uh, signed his book and we started talking. I met his dog, he met my dog. We've messed around with dogs in the back of the place here. We've gone on a couple one and two day trips. He turned into a really good hunting buddy. And in the course of all of that, I learned that one of his bucket list trips was sharp-tailed grouse. And I'm no expert in that world, but I, I was more expert than Tom. Uh, Tom's got his own set of skills, which we'll get into in a few minutes. But uh, Tom has taken me all over central and eastern Oregon chasing chuckers. And the guy has got, in fact, he's got the uh, Onyx map thing down to a science he's also a big game hunter so he's applying all of the skills and all of the filters in all of the ways and in fact one of those ways finally paid off for me yeah and maybe you'll see it uh by the time this podcast comes out he he marks all the spots he wishes he could stop and look at with a sasquatch icon on his onyx maps and uh I said, uh, you know, I, I don't do that. I ought to do that. I don't use your icon because that's yours. But, you know, I'm, I'm going to think about that. And I started doing it. And, and then I realized, you know, there's a magazine article in all of that. And so I pitched it to Upland Albanac. I called it Chasing Sasquatch. And it was all about going back to those places that uh, maybe you've gone to or driven past at the speed limit and always wanted to explore a little bit. So thank you, Tom, for that. And I owe you another beer for making a few bucks in a magazine contract there as well. But anyway, Tom Tom wanted to go sharptail hunting. And we've been talking about it all summer. And I said, well, I, I, I think that's enough. You pushed me over the edge. I hadn't planned on it, but let's go to Montana. It's the closest place for us to go to get some decent sharptail hunting. And so I called my friend who you've heard on the podcast as well. Al Gadori at 6X Outfitters. And I said, Al, we're thinking about going. You have any openings? Let's go hunting together. He said, yeah. So uh, we headed out for Lewistown, Montana. Um, oh, about a week ago, a little bit over a week ago from the recording of this podcast and, uh, and stopped along the way. It's two long days of driving. They're long when you have two dogs, a 6,000 pound trailer and all the other things um, that uh, come from uh, um, long distance travel with stuff. But it was worth it. Along the way, we saw some pretty country. Interestingly, maybe you've learned this as well. If you haven't, word of warning. If you ask Google Maps for directions to wherever you're going, you might get several choices. Even if you specify, give me this kind of uh, trip rather than this kind of trip, so we ended up taking the scenic route once or twice to some great places, drove past the campground that I was in that, uh, hey, I can't talk to you right now, buddy, but I will uh, talk to you later because I am busy. Anyway, um, sorry about that, everybody. So we drove past the campground on the Clearwater River that uh, I've stayed at in the past and that... Um, my new friend Matthew McConaughey stayed at right before I did, had the same experience, both of us. It was kind of cool. But anyway, uh, that was fun. 
we got the dogs out periodically. I learned a few lessons about that as well that I'm writing about again in another form for another magazine right now. And I'll share some of that. But we ultimately ended up uh, stopping in Lewistown. And believe it or not, the best lodging for a guy pulling a 6,000-pound trailer is the county fairgrounds. I want to thank everybody at the Fergus County Fairgrounds for their hospitality. They got a nice RV park. We were the only ones there. Had the whole RV park to ourselves, nice lush lawn, wide open spaces, fenced all around. You open the door in the morning, you cut the dogs loose. They can go out and take a leak here and do a squat there. And of course we cleaned it all up, but we had that whole place to ourselves. Next time you're traveling with an RV or you're tent camping, take a look at the nearest county fairgrounds as an alternative. Yeah, we don't go as far as some of you go, and Gary and uh, Jim, both friends of mine, and maybe some of you and some of your friends are going all the way to Glendive or Glasgow or Plentywood in the upper northeast corner of Montana if you're chasing sharptails in that state. You may as well be in North Dakota then. They call it the High Line goes all the way across there and it's a little colder it's a little drier it's a little flatter and there are more birds there but two days in each direction was about the limit we only had eight days total and my rule around here is um, for every day you drive you better hunt a day so we cut it just about right we hunted four hard days we drove four harder days and that was about right for everybody, including the dogs. It was a great tune-up, a shakedown cruise for our dogs. Um, that's one of the joys of sharptail hunting. You can do it earlier in the season. That's where all the pro guides in the pro field trailers go with their dogs out to the prairies to run them on young sharpies. They aren't quite so young when we get there in September, but they're still not in those giant groups that you can't even get close to. That's one of the reasons I love sharptail hunting. So here we are, surrounded by mountain ranges, little mountain ranges, a lot like the Great Basin here in the West, in that you can stand on a flat spot and you can see three or four different ranges at the same time. Interestingly, none of them had snow. But their bitter roots and the Judiths and the grass range and all of those were still green and beautiful. And even the grass on the prairie, which is not just flat, but is rolling most of the time, uh, was in pretty good shape considering the drought conditions that Montana and most of the West have experienced for the last, well, couple years, let's call it. Uh, we found some pretty good conditions in most of the places, and I would warn all of you that that's the most important part about a long-distance trip. Find out how decent the cover is what the habitat's like if you can get some insider information on how the hatches went what kind of populations there are some states where you can actually find out how many birds were shot in various locations so do all your homework before you invest in a long drive you might not um, have to drive that far or you might have to drive even farther so first day you know i think i'm going to save the first day for the last day um that will be a little bit backwards but you know that's kind of how i think anyway but let me just describe 
Sharptail country for those of you who haven't been there before. And this holds true in almost all the areas where you can find Sharpies from, uh, from Eastern Idaho to Montana to North Dakota, South Dakota, all of those places are going to have the same kinds of basic cover. It may differ to a degree. Some things might be more, um, more prevalent in one area than another area. But what you're looking for generally with sharp-tailed grouse is knee-high grass or thereabouts. I had one, uh, one uh, biologist describe it as grass that's tall enough to bend in the wind. Now, if it gets shorter than that, you might find Huns there. And, and I'll talk more about that as we get into this as well. Al taught me that part a long time ago. But uh, you want that tall-ish grass. And uh, you want a lot of it. You uh, Ideally, and where we found birds on this trip, the grass was thick. You could not find a lot of bare soil. It was either standing up or laying down because it was old or last year's or it had just been pushed over or stepped over. We did find birds in places that had cows grazing on it recently. So, you know, all those things, they all get along together in one way or another, but you're looking for that knee-high grass in most cases. Not to say you can't find them elsewhere, and as we go into this little story a bit more, you'll see what I mean by that. But there are other things that will affect that cover from the drought to grazing to current weather to, well, uh, soil chemistry and uh, a few other variables in there. But uh, first things first. So we're looking at some of these places, and one of the reasons I like to hunt Sharpies in Montana is they have the best run block management system. It's called BMA over there. Block management access is what it's called. First off, uh, they get all their contracts done pretty early in the summer. So you can know where to go by mid-August. They'll send you all the maps in a booklet. They're also available online. And ideally, most of them, most years, are also on your mapping app on your phone on x or whichever one you use now i'll caution you right now that's not always true i didn't learn that this year in montana but i learned that last year in two other states sometimes the states and sometimes Onyx don't communicate as frequently as you'd like them to and so you could be driving past a place that is supposed to be public access but it's not on your map and vice versa so check and double check counter check against that atlas that the state has brought up to date trust it more than you'll trust the onyx app and quite often the state will have their own app that has all that stuff blocked out for you there are two kinds of public access there. There's tier one and tier two. Tier two you got to get written permission from the property owner. Tier one you just show up you sign in and go hunting. And then don't forget at the end, you have to take the other half of your little sign-in card and put it back where you signed up to begin with. They want to know who was there and how they did. And that's how the landowners are compensated in Montana. And that's why I like it so much. It's a very entrepreneurial system. If the landowners don't take care of their place, you don't have a good time. You're not coming back. The state hears about it next year. It ain't on the list anymore. 
very market-based approach. It behooves the landowners to do a good job of stewarding their land for hunters as well as for whatever other purposes. So block management, great way to start. One of the things about Lewistown is it is not surrounded by, but in one or two of the quadrants, uh, south and west, there are lots of block management access parcels. Some of them a few hundred acres, some of them several thousand acres. If you can't find somewhere to walk, well, then you're just um, looking in the wrong spot, I guess. Uh, might be the nice way to put it block management there is managed for all sorts of species but you can go through the book booklet and see if that particular block has birds on it how many you never know but it's worth taking a look at you know i think at, at this point in time i'm going to take a quick break from my debrief of lewistown we've covered sort of the the skeleton of how to do it and where to go and how to apply yourself I'm going to talk about a couple other things. We're also going to preview. Oh, don't don't go away. We still got lots more to talk about specifically. I think I'll take you through the best day we had and leave it at that. I'll talk more about the the basics of block management, some strategies and tactics, a little bit more about Lewistown and what it has to offer. Uh, and the two new features, uh, the Puzzler Prize and some news items, both coming up right after this. You know, every week in the uh, Upland Nation Insights newsletter, I ask you a question. It's a poll most of the time and uh, just curious, you know, with grouse seasons and uh, some other things going on, whether you hunted opening day on September 1st, if you had such a thing, whether or not you didn't. Most of you did not. 77% said no, didn't hunt. 22% said yes, whether it was doves, grouse, or something else. Uh, didn't, didn't even think to put in teal season or something like that, but it was fascinating. And uh, there's always insights like that. Plus, I answer a question from one of you every week in that newsletter. Easy to sign up. Just go to findbirdhuntingspots.com. Sign up for that is uh, probably the simplest way to do it. You do that, and you also get a copy of that comprehensive list of all the types of public access places you can go from Corps of Engineers to Bureau of Reclamation spots and everything in between. And our foray to Montana is brought to you in part by HappyJackInc.com. My friends Manning and Joe Exum have got a wide array of products to take care of your four-footed hunting buddy. Yeah, I use them all from pad care to cut care. Did you see the new video yet? To flea beacon. This is the time of year when you're taking your dog to new places. Maybe they're literally rubbing up against other dogs that might have fleas. Flea beacon is an incredible non-toxic way to get rid of them. It's a little light on a ceiling on a little tray the fleas move to that light at night and they jump up for it they fall into the tray and they can't get out flea beacon one of those incredible ah slap your forehead wish i had thought about it products it's all available at happyjackinc.com and uh once again reminded on that long road trip uh of 
the brilliance of my friend Doug Sangle at RoughlandKennels.com. Doug learned all this stuff the hard way, so you don't have to when it comes to designing a kennel and all the accessories that go along with it. One of the things I truly appreciate is the way you can stack either a, basically a water tank with storage in it or just a storage tray on top of your Roughland kennel. Makes sense, doesn't it? That's just wasted space most of the time. Well, Doug's got a way for them to nest together so you can put all your ammo, your vest, some dog food, whatever else you're carrying, put it up on top of the kennel in a way that keeps it secure and gives you a lot more floor space in your truck. Learn more about all the accessories and the new colors at roughlandkennels.com. And rough is spelled the way your dog would spell it, rough. R-U-F-F-LandKennels.com. Yeah, welcome back. I'm Scott Linden, your host at the Upland Nation podcast with a debrief on our recent sharp tail trip to uh, Lewistown, Montana and parts northeast, south, and west of there. We spent a lot of time in town as well, just socializing, hanging out, getting the gear we forgot to get. That'll be a list on the Patreon page at some point in the near future, um, including visiting the new brewery that I've written about in yet another magazine. Uh, pretty good beer, food, meh, <laughs> service, meh. But go for the beer and support the local economy. That's one of the things I advocate for no matter where you are. You know, in many communities, hunting is economic development. So we spent a lot of lunch money at the Roy Montana Legion Bar. That was always fun. It's a classic. I mean, a classic. Just think about all the things that come with an American Legion Bar in a place like Roy Montana. Plus great food, great service wonderful people salt of the earth comes to mind roy montana and the luxury resort slash restaurant in lewistown is also reopened the mint bar not just a bar which is a pretty good bar didn't have the selection of single malt that i wanted but they had some other interesting stuff including red breast one of my favorite irish whiskeys and pretty good food too and everybody stops there the other joy of lewistown is when you're tired of fishing I mean, <laughs> now that's a Freudian slip. When you're tired of hunting, Spring Creek runs right through town. In fact, literally through town, I'll tell you. There is a bar, the Montana Tavern, in downtown, where if you sit at the right table, you can look through the glass top to the stream that's running below. Yeah, but in other places, you can actually wade out into it, make a cast, catch some fish inside of downtown Lewistown on Spring Creek. I love the place. Thank you all. Thank you everybody for your hospitality out there, but let's go hunting. We got up the first day and met Al, um, Al Godori of 6X Outfitters. Now this turned out not, it was not a guide trip. This was just for fun. Now we've worked with Al on the wing shooting USA TV show. Oh, probably four or five times. Al had the week off and decided we were good enough guests to spend it with us. And boy, am I appreciative of that because he shared a lot of his great public ground with us. The stuff he doesn't take the paying clients to. Stuff he goes to when he's just 
freelancing for himself. We started out at a, a block management parcel uh, somewhere around Lewistown, and that's as specific as I'm going to get with all of this stuff. And uh, it had everything going for it, everything going for it. Nobody else was there. Nobody had signed in for the day. It's a little hard to figure that out, but we were there first thing in the morning, and the weather was cool. The grass looked good from a distance. Like I said, no tire tracks, no other bu- folks parked there signed in got all that done put uh let's see we put down um one of his english setters i think it was panda white long legs beautiful coat you know for a field bred setter beautiful black and white coat with um uh, he calls him panda with a bandit mask like a raccoon or a panda across his uh, face uh, uh and it was he, she actually she she did a great job for us but she's such a beautiful little power pack pocket rocket kind of a setter and um one of his uh labradors uh bigfoot who you've seen on the tv show a few times is still with him great dog getting a little bit long in the tooth but still healthy active and very eager to go hunting bigfoot's claim to fame is uh she walks at heel until another dog goes on point then she is hupped or sat uh while al moves up on the bird and we do too uh, but she just can't resist hopping up onto her uh, back legs to make sure she doesn't miss any of the action out there. And you've seen that on the show. And she did it every time we had a dog on point. We're heading up this kind of swale draw, if you will, all good grass. At the top of this, um, there's something else. But through this good grass, we're thinking, okay, man, we hit this just about right, didn't we? Some of it green, some of it uh, dead and brown, but a lot of it tall and a lot of it covering the ground. So, you know, a textbook uh, habitat. And sure enough, in the distance on the left, Tom hears it first, and then we do too. There goes the first Sharpie off. Gone. Didn't even see it. Heard it, though. And you know when something like that happens early in the walk, you can't help but get a little bit more excited. You know, there's a dose of adrenaline that goes from your adrenal gland into your bloodstream and your senses are sharpened. Your hearing gets better. Even the dogs know it. They stretch out a little bit more and everything's working for us. And uh, yes, indeed, right before we summited that first ridge, Panda hits a point. And it's a solid one. And and this dog, Al's dogs always have that 12 o'clock tail. In fact, I might say it's a little bit more so with the curve in it. It, it almost looks like it's doing a half circle back over the dog's head. And thank goodness they're always white. Al has got that figured out as well. So we're, so we're moving up on this. Tom is way off in the distance uh, working a fence line, and I'll tell you why in a minute. But Al and I get up on this bird, and sure enough, it's not a bird it's four birds one goes right one goes left boom boom hey yeah i hit one so did al though al never misses he shoots a hundred year old uh that day he was shooting a lancaster side by side and beautiful shape had the uh, barrel rebrowned but anyway 
he hits one, I hit one. For him, it's a walk in the park. For me, it's a big celebration because I don't hit that many. And um, then two more get up while we're high-fiving and watching the dogs bring everything back. But that is another thing to remember about sharp-tailed grouse. Just like chuckers and even valley quail quite often, those birds don't always get up together. There is often, not always, but often, often a straggler or two or three or four ditto with huns as you'll find out later so that was a great celebration we get to the top and at the top the grass goes away but again with al's assurance we're feeling good because instead of knee-high grass there's knee-high sagebrush and while a lot of us would call that great sage grouse habitat, and we found evidence of that, in a pinch, if there's no grass, sage will be a fine substitute. So say the sharp tails. We side-hilled a sage slope. Wasn't near as bad as most of the chucker hills, but it was tough enough. And out of that, I hear that telltale sound. That's huns again in the distance nobody's looking that way but it was encouraging because i raced up to it and sure enough the last one goes out the back door before i can even get close enough to take a swing on it still again keeping you excited and keeping you happy because if you get that much action in the first couple hours things are going to look good the rest of the day so we continue our walk and it's generally going from be, from from that you know knee high sage brush to the 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 slopes that's on the top of the ridges and on the slopes it's knee high grass and i don't know what kind of grass that is it's montana grass and on one side of that there's even evidence of cows from a uh, uh, you know uh, at least earlier this season uh, there's this year i don't know when but i'm not um, an expert in cow poop so i won't be able to tell you that but we did see that but what we ended up finding on this trip was something that you read about everywhere when you learn about sharp tails and that is they are generally generally on the high spots and i've seen that happen in all sorts of locations uh, from north dakota to south dakota right here to montana they like those high spots so that they can watch out for predators like us the other place they like as tom learned is fence lines and i gosh dang it i forgot to ask al about this but for some reason he would send and it always ended up being tom because he was closest to it already but tom would walk those fence lines while we were spread out we by then we were running tom's dog my dog flick tom's dog's name is ruby she's a half wire hair half labrador that just looks like it looks like a poodle pointer and, and then one of al's dogs plus bigfoot or his puppy labrador anyway we're spread out over this place and sure enough the next bird that gets up is uh, wild flush from right next to a fence post Tom is as good a shot as Al, so that bird goes down. And here was the fun part. Well, his dog was nowhere near it. Neither was anybody else's dog. 
Flick, my dog, hears that shot, sees that bird from 250 yards away, races over there, beats everybody else to the punch, picks up that bird, and who does he bring it to? Well, the guy who taught him how to retrieve. Woohoo! Good boy, Flicky. He did great the whole time. So did Ruby. And, of course, Al's dogs always do great. Here are some things I've learned about dogs on sharp tails. First off, take good care of their feet. Get them in condition. Keep them hydrated, even in cooler weather. But hydration is critical. There's no water out there. You better bring plenty for you and the dog. Oh, and then bring more for the dog, by the way. In windy and dry conditions, your dog can overheat fairly quickly. And that's one of the things that we luckily didn't have to worry about too much this time around. But it is something to bear in mind, especially as you go earlier and earlier in the season, which in in Montana opens the 1st of September. And in many other states, it does too. So be careful about those sort of things. Another thing to remember about your dogs and sharp tails is they'll run. Now, I've never experienced that until this season, but a sharp-tailed grouse that's under pressure of one sort or another, especially if hunters are being too noisy, they'll run away. They'll run out from under a point. We saw it happen at least two times, and we saw evidence of it happening by some of the false points that Al's dogs were, were giving us once in a while, that there were birds there until we got there. So be stealthy as well. Be very stealthy. In fact, Al likes to use hand signals, and he doesn't use a whistle unless he's really pressed to use a whistle with his dog. It's all hand signals and mental telepathy, and it, and it worked just great. We got to the top and looked around and decided that was a pretty good idea. Let's just go back through the same stuff we hunted on the way up. Al had a theory, and I agreed that this made all the sense in the world. Al's theory was um, there are birds that will sneak away from us, whether they ran or they just hunkered down like a pheasant. They sneak away, and if we can come back in a stealthy manner, we might find them. Sure enough, on this really smooth sagebrush flat, little bit of an incline we hit we ran just my dog and al's uh panda got a point from flick in stuff that we thought we'd covered pretty good on the way out but no here comes one bird then two birds then three birds yeah that's right good shot tom good shot al well that was a lucky shot scott keep up the good work we have had so many birds get up in front of us on those return trips. It's certainly worth taking a look at for yourself. Okay, so after lunch. Yeah, that's right, after lunch. We head for a big valley with a creek bottom that has some green growth. And later in the day, birds are looking for a couple things shade being one of them sometimes they're feeding and there's also the shade from those snowberry plants that they might be feeding on also we found these birds in alfalfa next to sage or alfalfa next to the grass or wheat stubble 
ever looked closely at a wheat stubble field? There's a lot of waste wheat on the ground, and we found it in a lot of these birds. The other thing we found, and believe it or not, I had never noticed it until the first day we were cleaning crops. Dandelions, or something that looks exactly like the dandelions I have in my lawn. They would crop off the last two inches of... Um, of of the leaves so you got about two inch a leaf in their crop uh as soon as we figured that out we started walking around looking at the ground the whole time and it's everywhere in those sagebrush portions of the habitat obviously crowded out by the grass but in the sagebrush portions dandelions everywhere and that's what the birds were eating we'd find a seed here a seed there a few berries once in a while but mostly dandelion leaves so you know if you can target that you might get lucky uh, i don't know that i'd build a trip around it but it is certainly worth taking a look at if you're trying to figure out where else to find birds so anyway we're back at the top we're looking at this greenish patch down at the bottom might maybe may the only green patch we found outside of the sagebrush uh, uh, and it was partly alfalfa a lot of what they call volunteer alfalfa in some of the grass and this was also down there next to the creek plus those low-growing snowberries and a few trees here and there so al said go for the trees let's go for the trees oh except that spot because that's full of young pheasants we don't want to shoot at yet so we skirted that long one well, we found a bird here and found a bird there and tom and al did most of the good shooting i did most of the missing i don't mind I'm still breaking more feathered targets than I did last season. Yeah, all that practice over the summer did pay off. And um, we get to the last walk of the last day. Go around the biggest thicket of some sort of, I'll call it a uh, creekside tree that looks like it belongs in the plains of Africa. It looks like the Mopani tree, you know, that's what. And then there's one little copse of those at the end. It's probably five trees, about eight, 15 feet tall, right in there. And we come around the corner and flicks on point. I mean, one of those classic, he, I'm, he's never going to have a 12 o'clock tail. He's got that continental tail set. It goes straight out, just like the Volvo commercial from a few years ago. Anyway, he is looking good and he is solid because if we didn't do anything else last summer it was get him solid on birds so we're mustering all the forces we can muster everybody's trying to get there wading through the creek climbing over the you know over the um over the cliff you know the 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 eroded creek bank getting muddy getting hot fighting our way through the few bushes we needed to to get there I'm the first one there. I stop. I look for Al. I look for Tom. They're still behind me. I'm going over to steady flick so he's he, he won't do anything stupid before they get here. And that was enough. Five birds get up. Talk about happy endings. I hit my limit on two shots, two birds crossing right to left. Not easy for a cross-dominant shooter worked for me worked for them another bird got up for each of them out of the same spot everybody finished the day on a high note yahoo yippee thank you al thank you sharp-tailed grouse it was an incredible trip give me a chance to take a quick 
cup of coffee here, and then I will be um, sharing a few of the other lessons I learned with you. Uh, thank you for your patience. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, that time of day, that time of the trip, you know, I'm still, uh, still, uh, still relishing all the things we learned from that, that I hope to apply in future years. And if you're going out, maybe you can do the same. Let's recap some of those more important tips that I picked up from Al and Tom and everybody else. Advanced scouting, critical. Find out what kind of public access you have in those kind of places mark the map call the biologist talk to the landowners if you can do your homework once you get there you're going to kill birds with boot leather nothing else so be ready to walk several of the places we went even with al's help and he hunted with us for three days uh we're just barren you know bad year bad day uh, something else affected the bird populations, but you got to be willing to accept some places where you're not going to score and some places where you might and everything in between. Number one on the list, if there's no grass, keep driving. If there's grass plus any of those other crops, definitely worth a look. Again, make sure your dogs are in condition for Flick, this was just a warm-up, kind of, like I said, a shakedown cruise for, for Flick. Al's dogs, uh, they've, they've, they've been doing this for years. But an average grouse, a sharp-tailed grouse hunt for, for a pointing dog out there will be 6 to 15 miles a day. You walk about one-third of that. So if you're not in shape, uh, yeah, this is a good warm-up, if nothing else. Um Make sure you spend some money in town. Uh, take everybody's hot tips with a grain of salt. Learned that the hard way as well. Got to know somebody nice as a result of it. Find a town with a lot of block management around it so you're not spending most of your trip going from point A to point B 300 miles away. Base that on all the things you learn from all the places, boil them down to some basics, and then watch out for barbed wire. You should have a good time. I know we did. Lewistown, Montana, one of those places I'll be writing about yet again very soon. In the meanwhile, stick around. I've got some news. I've got a chance for you to win something cool. And... We'll be back to close it out with all of that right after this. Looking for work? Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is looking to hire thousands of full-time and part-time employees. They're having a national hiring event on Wednesday, September 22nd and Thursday, September 23rd. Just go to any store. They'll interview you right on the spot from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. Cabela's Bass Pro Shops, September 22nd and 23rd. How are things doing for our pheasant hunting season? Well, in the Kansas region, uh, well, the whole state of Kansas is it, it doing pretty good. They had a bad um, roadside survey year. Some things worked against them, but overall production was up. So says Jeff Prendergast, one of my contacts over there at the Kansas Department of Wildlife and Parks. If you're looking for the best odds, go to Northwest Kansas. 
good rain there, good growth in the CRP grasslands and even in the pivot corners. Banner wheat crop, lots of waste on the ground, northwest Kansas. Going a little further afield to North Dakota, the number of pheasants observed during their upland game brood survey was down 23%, but that's probably because of the drought. Now, hunters should expect to find similar bird numbers as last year, but the real problem there is fewer acres of grassland cover to walk thanks to the drought. The other problem in North Dakota is a lot of the public land open to sportsmen, that's what they call it there, plots, has been hayed and grazed due to the drought. So uh, look carefully at that stuff if you are heading for North Dakota. Hey, here we go. Going to have some fun with this one every week on the Upland Nation podcast. I call it the Upland Nation Puzzler. The end of October and the end of every month from now on, I'll be giving away some kind of great piece of gear that I've tried and tested and use all the time to somebody with the correct answer to a question or several questions. So to enter to win, this month's prize will be a Pete shoe dryer. And if you don't know what they are, just Google it. Find out about Pete shoe dryers. There's nothing like waking up and putting on warm boots. You're going to win one free if you are drawn at random from all the Facebook messages that define the word Deutsch Drotar correctly. Deutsch Drotar. What does that mean in English? If you know the answer, or if you just want to look it up, I don't mind. You'll learn something. Define the word Deutsch Drotar. Message me on Facebook. And you're entered to win that Pete shoe dryer. And this part of the Upland Nation podcast is brought to you with Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. Use the code Upland Nation and get 30% off your first order. Free delivery. Yeah, right to your porch. Just sign up for their regular service. Just like all those other guys. But Dr. Tim, he supports us. Take a look at your dog food ingredients and find out how many artificial ingredients are in there. For example, if there's a color with a number, run away fast. Take a look at all the reasons to get natural ingredients of high quality and know from where they come at drtims.com. That's Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. It's what I feed Fleck, and uh, hey, so far so good. He is doing a stellar job in the field. Four days of hunting, four days of health. And that ought to do it this week on the Upland Nation podcast. I hope you enjoyed that debrief and learned something about Lewistown, Montana, one of my favorite places to visit for sharp-tailed grouse. If you have questions about that trip or any other trip, you know how to find me on Facebook. Don't forget our new Patreon page, patreon.com slash uplandnation. If you want to support the cause here, continue to get this kind of information. Make an investment. I appreciate it. Thank you in advance. Also appreciate your telling a friend or two. And leaving a review wherever you get your podcast. Leave you with this quote. 
it's anonymous and it probably showed up on a t-shirt among other places. I don't care who dies in the movie as long as the dog lives. Amen to that. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'll see you in the field.